something is a recurring issue, get help. The wear and tear on the relationship is not worth that accumulation over time when you can right. solve a problem. Right. But at the moment that you realize, you know, we're bickering over the trash at the dishwasher, and we're doing it so frequently that would you agree that there is something that's bothering us? And could we make a date to talk about it? Hello, and thank you for joining our podcast, Hope to Recharge, a show that is designed to bring hope, inspiration, motivation, and some practical tips to those that are battling depression and anxiety, and to those that are supporting loved ones that are going through the journey in this difficult time of depression and anxiety. I'm here to tell you, you are not alone, and we will live beyond depression and anxiety. We will share our stories one story at a time in a world of mental health together is better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for tuning in. Before we continue, I would like to announce our sponsor, BetterHelp.com. I myself just started with BetterHelp.com. I'm excited to start with my new therapist. It's going to be very convenient for me because I travel a lot. I also have some time in the evenings that I can work and most therapists do not see past 8 p.m. BetterHelp.com is an online platform, over 4,000 therapists, and you can choose the one that is matching for you. It's affordable. It's accessible. It's convenient. It's secure. You can text them. You can chat with them. You can video call them. You can use your tablet, your computer, your phone. It's on the tip of your fingers. You don't have to travel anywhere. If you're remote and you're looking for a therapist, and maybe your community doesn't have someone local that is specific therapist for what you need, why not sign up on betterhelp.com and get the therapist that fits your needs? It's also super private. You don't have to go anywhere and be seen in public if you're still struggling with stigma. So visit betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. They're offering our listeners 10% off on their first month. So go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Find your therapist. Hello and welcome to hope to recharge. Thank you for joining me here today. Thank you for taking the time to listening in. Thank you for sharing my podcast with your friends and family and loved ones. Thank you for your help, for your advice, for your conversations. Thank you for being a part of our community. Each and every one of you are really adding to our conversations, for breaking the stigma. I've been getting lots of emails and messages from our listeners, giving me insight on what they would like to hear more about and what is really painful for them and what they can learn from and more on the topic of how to deal with anxiety. We're not talking about anxiety so much lately. So I think I'm going to start looking for more interviews on anxiety and coping with them and how to break the shame and the stigma. There's still so much stigma, so much stigma. A lot of reaching out anonymously, and I totally respect that. I totally, totally, totally understand. It's so hard to break the stigma, but we're going to try to help you to overcome your shame and reach out to people that you feel comfortable with to share so you can get your wellness back and you can heal and you can rise above the pain because shame can really hold us back from getting help. Today, I have a super interesting guest, somebody that I've been listening to her podcast for a while. She has a bunch of podcasts. I really enjoyed listening to her podcast and I asked her to come on our podcast. Her name is Dr. Roberta Shaler. 
also known as the Relationship Help Doctor. She provides urgent and ongoing care for relationships in crisis. We'll hear more in detail what that means. She is the author of 16 books, and she is a host of two powerful podcasts. One of them is Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show, and Save Your Sanity, Help for Toxic Relationships. Both are super interesting. I really, really, really love listening to them. They're so fascinating, and her voice is so calming as well. So welcome to our show, Dr. Shaler. Today I have a very interesting guest. And the funny thing about this guest, I don't know if she remembers, Dr. Roberta Shaler. She's been doing podcasting for a while. And I think about a year ago when I was trying to think about my podcast, I was going to be a guest on her show. And I think the same day that I was supposed to appear on her show, I was traveling. It was like a big mess up. And I, I, I was always looking at her podcast and incredible, incredible content, incredible. And I said, I want to have her on my podcast. Like that was one of my goals when I started my podcast, because first of all, she's an incredible podcaster and she's an incredible relationship coach. And I think she, she's nodding her head and not a relationship coach, a relationship consultant. consultant. Can you tell me the difference between a relationship coach and a consultant? Yeah, I have a PhD in psychology. <laughs> And so therefore, I am not a coach. I can, he I can help people heal. Mm -hmm. I don't take them from where they are and move them forward. I can go forward and backward. And that is why I don't call myself a coach. Oh, okay. So a coach basically help, gives them tool to do it on their own? No, a coach can take you from where you are and ask mm -hmm. you questions and mm -hmm. help you move forward. Actually, in the International Coaching Federation, mm -hmm. you can't say that you are a healer in the coaching world because you can't go and take people back into the psychological underpinnings of what went on with them in order to figure things out. Mm -hmm. So there's a distinction. So that's why I don't call myself a coach. You know, previously, of course, I was trained as a psychologist, mm -hmm. and that's why I have a PhD in psychology. But I wanted to be able to help people on a broader spectrum. I wanted to be able to actually have a consulting role, which is different. And so when someone goes to a consultant, they go and they present their problem. The consultant asks a lot of questions, gets a great understanding, and then comes back with options and strategies and suggestions and all. And that's what they're supposed to do. Where in the truly therapeutic role, mm. you are more client-centered, so you're asking them to elicit the answers. But in the consulting role, I can give them a lot of education. I can propose things. I can give them strategies. I can give them tasks. I can give them options. Mm -hmm. Are you the one that figures it out for them, or they figure it out with you? Well, I give them a lot of information so they become better educated and then we figure it out together. Yes. I guess it's very similar to a consultant in a business when we come with a problem and we say, okay, this business is really not doing well the past four years. It started off like this and you're one, two, three, four, and these are our problems. And the consultant lays out everything and say, okay, this is where we find the problems in area A, B, and C. How do we tackle A, B, and C? And the consultant will also say, perhaps these are some dark areas where you didn't notice. You may have some blind spots. Let me put all the things out there mm. on the table for you. 
and then say, because of these patterns, this is probably what's going on. And how is that for you? Does it seem appropriate? And if it does, here are four strategies that you could use. Which one of them would you like to try? You can, you can propose a great deal from a consulting point of view. Do you, did you learn the actual emotional relationship between the brain and the emotion and the couple, like the triangle? Oh, sure. Yes, and all the neurobiology of trauma, which is mm -hmm. very important in my field, right? because I specialize in working with the partners, the exes, and the adult children of the people who have the traits, patterns, and cycles of personality disorders, whether or not they're diagnosed. So one of the reasons that I really wanted you on was to hear your intake and tips and strategies and how you consult couples or relationship people, if it's parents to children, teachers, mentors in the workforce in so many areas of relationships that people struggle with mental illness and from the point of not understanding mental illness and the person that's going through it and all the relationship struggles that happen in between and the misunderstanding, and there's so much misunderstanding. Part of me what, um, wishes that I knew a lot before I got diagnosed with depression and anxiety, that I should be aware that it's going to affect the relationship. But we're so busy. We're so busy calming the noise of the depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, that we don't even address the other people that are in the relationship with this person that they're affecting. I remember somebody asked me once, how do you know when I need help? I said, when your relationships that matter get affected, that's when you can no longer say, I, th that's the point when you say, it's not only me, it's, it's affecting. And mm -hmm. a lot of people say, I don't need help. I can figure it out. Or the shame, the stigma, the fear of the diagnosis, but it's no longer fair when we're really affecting people around us. That's if we're true. a boss, if we're affecting the people that work for us, a parent, our children, if we're affecting our children, if we're affecting our partner that we live with. And there's so much to be said about this. And I really wish I knew a lot before. And unfortunately, I only had the conversation with my husband years after I healed. Years. Uh -huh. Yeah. I want to give my listeners a lot of awareness, first of all, the awareness, and second of all, tips of how to bring the conversation up because it's a hard conversation. It's a hard conversation when people are struggling and when people don't even have the language to express what they're really going through, the pain. One of the things that I want to ask you as a consultant, how do we diagnose the problem in the beginning? Well, as a consultant, I don't do a lot of diagnostics anymore because I am looking at, instead of from a psychological model, looking at the person as a therapeutic client, I'm looking at the person as the client that you mentioned earlier, which is like coming to me with my life as a business. This is what's going on. These are the feelings. These are the players. These are the things that are happening. What should I do? Mm -hmm. So, because I've written so many books, 16 of them, wow. and I have the two podcasts, and I have a very large YouTube channel, most people come to me because they've listened to the podcast or they've seen the videos. Mm -hmm. 
So they already have a sense that they're dealing with someone's behavior that is causing them great distress. And because I work with people who have the traits of uh, personality disorders, the people are always blaming them for the problem. Mm. And so helping them see that the actual uh, pieces of the puzzle, the pieces, the traits and the cycles and the patterns that they're going through and the predictability of those things to codify them, if you will, to say, well, let me guess, and this happened, and that too, and, and then they'll say, oh, how did you know? Because <laughs> right? there's a pattern, because there's a pattern. Exactly. And uh, people who have the traits of personality disorders will almost never go for help. Sometimes borderline people will go for help because they have times of cognition and true empathy where they realize they're hurting their partners and their mm -hmm. children and all. But um, people who are narcissistic or psychopathic or sociopathic, any kind of antisocial behavior, they are lacking in empathy and don't have the awareness that they're hurting other people. And if they do have the awareness, it's a, okay, I'm hurting them, but I'm getting what I want. Mm -hmm. So I'm not too concerned about that. So it's a little bit different than dealing with people who have anxiety disorder or depression disorder. Uh, because the the people are are very different, mm. of course. <laughs> right. But I spoke to many people that that are, are borderline personality disorder or personality disorder. They say they go into a depression right after an episode. Like deep dark depression comes into the equation. Can it be with a borderline. Um, there's very seldom going to be that kind of thing going on with other types of personality disorder. Mm -hmm. They are not going to get depressed. They are not going to be anxious, except if they think they're losing their supply. Mm -hmm. You know, if you say, I'm out of here, they get a little bit anxious to get you back because right. they, they don't want to have to go and get supply again. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's different, definitely different. So in your, in, in your studies and your work, do you have patterns that you can give like a recipe of this is how the relationship works with personality disorder. With First of all, can it work with one personality disorder and one without? Can it work? It depends. It's like everything. There's a spectrum, you know. Say we take the whole idea of narcissistic behavior. Mm -hmm. Well, without a certain sense of healthy narcissism, we wouldn't go to a job interview because we wouldn't think we had a chance. Right, right, right. right. Um, so there can be a little, a little healthy narcissism, and then every now and again you step over it. Well, sure, a relationship can sustain that. Mm -hmm. But somebody who is actually narcissistically disordered, no. It is very difficult for a relationship to sustain that, and nor should it, because the other person is constantly going to be a doormat or a pretzel, and they're always going to be to blame for everything, and the modeling for the children is inappropriate. Mm, that's a little bit sad to hear. Is there medication that can help no. them? No, no. There's no medication for personality disorder. And there's no training of the brain, neuroplasticity, something? Well, they have to the live first, alone? The first of all issue is that they are unwilling ever to get a diagnosis. 
because of the way that they have been since the time they were usually very little. Their attachment style is quite anxious avoidant, and so they don't make relationships in the same way that those of us who have secure attachments do. So there are a lot of factors playing into that. And no, they don't have to live alone. They never will. They'll go from supply to supply. They are always grooming people to have power over. So they may end a relationship, but they probably have had some relationship on the side or at least a groomed relationship to move on to. But it, it, you say it's sad, and it is sad. It's sad because a person is uh, intrigued and charmed by a person I created a term for them. I trademarked a term for these people. Mm. So because they don't have diagnoses and they don't get them, I wanted people to have a word that they could use to talk about people with these patterns, traits, and cycles without diagnosing them. So people who behave this way, I call them hijackals. And hijackals are people who hijack relationships for their own purposes mm. and then relentlessly scavenge them for power, status, and control. So I'm talking about that group of people. Right. It's so, like an addiction. Well, it is sort of an addiction. It's an addiction of power, power. status, and control. Yeah, right. And so what they have, though, is they have this ability, this window, Matna, to say, Okay, I, we call it love bombing. So they meet somebody and they want to charm them. Mm. And they have good radar, so they'll figure out what that person needs, what they need to hear, what they want to hear, all kinds of aspects in that regard. And they will woo them, court them, everything. They're the kind of person who would say to you, I don't even know you, but I know I'm going to marry you. Oh or God. I don't even know you, but I know I love you. Mm. And they jump right in because they, they don't have a long time that they're going to be willing to put up this persona that doesn't actually exist. Mm. This is the getcha phase. That's mm. why we call it love bombing. And so they manipulate you into their web. And then once they getcha, <laughs> mm. they, you know, they like to get you to move in, marry them, get pregnant, do something quickly so that they feel they have some power over you. And then they begin to show you and let, let the um, whole mask fall. And that may be a slow process. I've had people that happened on their wedding night. Mm. Um, so it is, it is sad in the way that the person that you fell in love with does not exist. Mm. Right? So here you keep hoping, if only I do more, if only I be more, if I'm more patient, if I'm less demanding, if I love them long enough, <laughs> if I'm the person who's always there for them, they didn't have that, oh, they had this wounded childhood. So a healthy, normal, empathic person says, oh, well, let me give more to you. But what a hijacker will do is just take all you have and leave you completely empty and you don't get anything back. Mm. And so after a certain point, I mean, you just have to remove yourself. Right. Um, if, there's, if they have anywhere from moderate to severe and fairly persistent ways of being in this regard, and you can't have your children seeing this. Although the damage is mostly done in the very early years of life. So you want to get your children away so that you can model something else. Big problem, though, because when you get them away, hijackals have this very manipulative, charming mm. way of going to court. They have no interest in their children, 
but they go to court to take the children the power, away from just you. To, right, right, to have power, control. It's also like a little bit manipulative and, and abusive. Like they get the high out of it or something like that. How many people, so you said there's a spectrum. How many people that are on the spectrum are like th- th- what you're explaining right now? Most. Most? Wow. And you're saying there's no way to to do anything about it. There's no way to fix it. There's no habits to learn. There are. And that's why I always say when someone comes to me and asks the question, what should I do? I say, first of all, do your own work. If there's no physical or sexual abuse going on that is frightening you and likely to happen again, do your own work. And by that, I mean, find out where your boundaries are, how you're living your values, what how you're living your beliefs, how they may be guided or misguided in this situation because they weren't tailored to working with someone who behaves this way. Try some strategies. Find out if there can be some change. You know, I'll work with couples sometimes and, you know, some of them will hang in there. The the person with the with the behaviors will hang in and maybe make a few changes and it may be enough. Because they're afraid to leave or because they're afraid to, to stir the boat? Well, both of those things, or they're afraid that they're going to be left, and so they will accommodate for a while. Now, it usually doesn't happen for more than a hot minute, but it shows that they are definitely in charge of their behavior right? and that they can make those changes. So when their partner says, well, you could be like this and you choose not to be, then that's another defining factor for someone who's thinking about leaving the relationship, right? Wow. Because I do know people that like exactly what you describe, like, and it's, it's sad to think that there was nothing to do about it. There are lots of things to do about it, but it's whether or not the other person will respond. I mean, right. you, you can, you can make the changes within yourself. You can find out why this, why you were willing and what, what happened in your life that made this okay with you at any level. How did this happen? It's sort of like that urban myth about how to how to cook frogs. You know, you put them in cold water and slowly turn up the heat. Well, that's sort mm. of what happens here. You you start out and you're in fine water, and then slowly the heat gets turned up, mm. and then you find out. Well, you know, maybe I should dance a little faster. Maybe I can dance for two. You know, mm. and and then there you are, and you're you're in real difficulties. You're in stress. You're depressed. You're in anxiety. And it's because of the other person's behaviors and they won't own their behaviors and they all make everything your fault, which ups the anxiety, deepens the depression. So at a certain point, you have to figure all this out. And my invitation to people is always figure it out before you leave, unless there's physical or sexual abuse going on of yourself or the children. So that when you do make a decision, and if that decision is to leave, that you leave in an empowered fashion. Mm. You don't run away and say, oh, I just have to get out of here and I'm going to be a mess, but I'll start over. There's a strategy. Yeah, you you get strong and you get empowered and you get clear and you learn how to set boundaries and be assertive and, and all of those things before you leave. Because you're going to need that strength and to leave. And you're going to need that strength to go to court. Mm. Sometimes uh, people can prepare, but it doesn't really, like they say you can teach kids how to swim, but you can't teach them how to swim out of water. 
So it's the same thing. You compare your, prepare yourself to battle for leaving, but when you're actually in the battle, it's not the same as what you prepare. The battle is so much stronger once yeah. you're in it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and things will come that will blindside you. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing about hijackals is when you go to court with them, they fire attorneys until they get a hijackal attorney. Uh, so then there's two of them coming at you. Mm, and wow. they're both unreasonable. Do you believe that there are certain personalities that attract that relationship with such a person that has sure. personality? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If you have been raised to be particularly accepting, Mm-hmm. And if in your background, perhaps you had a hijackal parent mm-hmm. and you're not a hijackal, mm-hmm. then there is a familiarity in this person that you resonate with on a subconscious level. And so you think, oh, well, they're not as bad as the parent. So this mm-hmm. must be an upgrade. Mm-hmm. And then you don't expect them to get worse. And they do. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I mean, emp- empathic people um, will attract them because the empathic person thinks they can help them. They think that they can only you know, they can do more and they can be the one that saved them, nurture them to help, nourish them, give them everything they didn't have in their earlier years. And they can't. You can't. Mm-hmm. And so you have to know that you can't do that. <laughs> Wow. So usually it's once somebody figures it out, it's too late. Well, it it's, well, that, there's a lot in that sense. <laughs> um, when you figure out that what is actually going on, that you are being blamed for every moment, mm-hmm. when you get enough perspective on it to say, perhaps what I'm being told is my fault is not my fault. Could I look at it from that point of view? And maybe I get a little help to look at it. Then I begin to see how I got entrained into this pattern. Mm. And I, I am entrained to believe this pattern. And in that learning, then I can say, oh, I can become a, a onlooker to this pattern for a moment, usually with help. And then I can say, do I want that? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, because it feels really bad. Right. And I do not want that. Do I want my children to be subjected to this? Do I want my children? See, the thing with hijackals, Matana, is that hijackals don't have love to give you. They have uses for you. And so it looks like they love you in the beginning with the love bombing, but what they're doing is they're setting it up so that they can use you and then say, if you really loved me, you'd allow me to use you. Hmm. So it's very convoluted in that way. And that's why if you've had a person like that as a parent or someone Mm -hmm. in your background, Mm -hmm. this is comfortably uncomfortable and strangely familiar at a subconscious level. Also, Mm -hmm. you may be from a very uh, happy, level-headed, everything's good kind of Mm -hmm. family, and you think, Oh, well, you know, that's just how they are. We'll make allowances for them and we'll work it out. And then it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. And then, you know, we have lots of cultural things or religious things or influences that say, well, you know, you have to stay. You made this commitment. You did Mm -hmm. this and that. And then you find that, no, I mean, even 
we have laws that allow for divorce when someone is incarcerated, for instance, for some major crime, mm -hmm. because that person is not who we thought they were, and they've behaved in a way that is very different and antisocial. And therefore, I have I have the opportunity to leave them because of that. Well, similar things happen because they have crimes of of passion and crimes of behavior and they they will crush other humans in the extreme right mm -hmm. and so are you going to stay and be crushed are you going to allow your children's spirits to be dampened are you going to have your children be confused all the time because they have the dna of both of you and have to choose sides i mean every single case is different mm -hmm. i i'm always telling people like I have a membership site so that I can get to know people. Mm -hmm. I I have I do all my my work by video conferencing so I can see people wherever they are and every case is different. Right. The ages and stages of your children, the length of, of your uh, union, the, what have you tried? What have you not tried? What kind of family did you come from? What kind of family did they come from? How are the finances operating? Because so frequently a hijackal will take over all the finances and endeavor to uh, have power over a partner that way. Whether the hijackal is male or female, doesn't matter, they're equal numbers of both. Um, they will attempt to have a control over the finances as a way of controlling their partners. So how do we get around that? What do we do with that? How do you get help if you can't engage because you have no way to do it? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have a membership program that's well, the first month is price of a latte, so that, I mean, it's not it's not going to stop anybody from getting some help, right? But do you diagnose? Do you go through a questionnaire that you could say to them? Let's say somebody's in a relationship and they're not sure. They're not sure. They're on this on their on their spectrum. Are, are, do they have some traits? Is there a questionnaire that they could go through and say yes or no, one hundred percent? No. Um, because, as I say, they can be very different and they can be gradations. Mm -hmm. And you may have a whole lot of this and very little of that. Mm -hmm. And so I've been kind of loath to put up a checklist. I, I was going to do that. Mm -hmm. But then I thought, oh, no, because people might might act on it and it might be erroneous. So I haven't done it. Right. Um, it's very individual. Very, very individual. individual. Can I take this conversation to regular, I mean, not regular, but relationships that are standard relationships in the mental health world, mm -hmm. not specifically for um, the hijackals, as you call them, but the relationships that have mental illness um, or mental illness that comes not right away into the relationship, a few years into it that we're not aware of it because it's the new the new part of the relationship. Um, so one of the podcasts that I was listening to that really caught my ear was about the little fights and the bickering that you speak about. Do you want to be right? Do you want to get, you have a saying, you have a very cute way of putting it. I, I don't remember what I said, but I probably something about would you rather be right or happy? Right. So, something like that. It was like either do you want to be right or do you want to prove, like, do you want to make it right? Do you want to yeah. be right or do you want to make right. it right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and 
I must say that in my relationship with Ari, my husband, which I think we're very loving, but my kids always make fun of us that we bicker about the stupidest things. And I, and I, it's funny that, that we're talking about it now. Cause last week I said, Ari, why, why is it that we take this little stupid things and we find an argument about it? Does it really matter? Does it really matter? But so what is it about a couple that goes head to head about things that really doesn't matter. Because once once we got the argument over, we're laughing and and back lovey dovey. What is it about us? In well, our... there's a couple of things. First of all, it can be a sign of something underlying that's unhealed, mm-hmm. and so it shows up, and then we feel like we can squish it back down again. So mm-hmm. it shows up, and it almost comes to the surface, but we don't say it, and we suppress it, and then we go on, and we're laughing and lovey-dovey, but it's still underneath there, just mm-hmm. waiting to sabotage the relationship. Mm-hmm. So that can certainly be the case. can certainly also be the case that in those moments, somebody is unwilling or unable to express a need for something that they need. And we end up talking about the weather or who took out the garbage or didn't. And Mm -hmm. that becomes the big issue, but that's not the issue at all. Mm -hmm. But we're playing it out as though it's the issue. Mm -hmm. And those are important things to be able to determine what's going on. What's underneath this? I mean, we're arguing about, you know, who emptied the dishwasher last and it really doesn't matter. So let's take an hour and find out, are we arguing about something deeper? Mm. So take the conversation deeper. Don't, don't let it stay on the level of the little, um, bickering go deeper okay what's really not if it's happening frequently i mean occasionally we'll all be a little crabby or a little grumpy Mm -hmm. and we'll Mm -hmm. do something offhand but if you start to see that it's a pattern in the relationship then you could probably figure out that something is underneath there that's kind of wanting to rise up but nobody's ready to uh, pay attention to it yet Mm -hmm. and or doesn't feel safe to bring up what actually is happening or maybe even we don't even know what's happening but Mm -hmm. there's an irritant there's something that goes on and i just need to have some power here i need to be right Mm-hmm. Right. right. Um, and so the dynamic then has to be looked at at what's underneath that and do you believe couples can do it on their own without a third person in the room sure sometimes the average couple should be able to figure out that there's something underneath that and do we need help with it right you know? but sometimes i've had people who Well, let me just say the Gottman research shows, the Gottman Institute research shows that a couple has a problem for six years before they come to get help. Mm, Like that's a lot of wasted life and a lot of damage to relationship to wait that long. So in answer to your question, if something is a recurring issue, get help, Mm -hmm. right? Because the wear and tear on the relationship is not worth that accumulation over time when you can solve a problem. But at the moment that you realize, you know, we're bickering over the trash of the dishwasher and we're doing it so frequently that would you agree that there is something that's bothering us and could we make a date to talk about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just really honestly, freely be able to talk about it. Now, some couples can't speak honestly and freely to one another. Um, maybe the communication skills, the conflict management mm-hmm. skills, the fear, the mm-hmm. self-esteem does not allow for that. And then you are going to need help. Right. But for two 
relatively healthy people to say, this is a recurring event in our relationship. What do we think is really going on? You can unpack a little something there. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I I actually brought it up last week and I we were laughing at the ta- at dinner table. It's never about what who did what. It's about a fact. Was it five minutes or seven minutes? Was uh-huh. it a year? Was it a year and a half? Was it a month? Was it was it last trip? Was it Africa? Was it Australia? Like stuff like that. And I'm like, what? What? And the reason why it bothered me was because my kids keep on saying something like you guys argue about the stupidest things like, you know, and and it bothers me that I, I, in a way it's cute that they see that we were loving and we still respect each other, even though we have very different opinions about a lot of things. Religion is one of the things that we're very vastly different about our opinion, vastly different. And we're very vocal about it. And I think it's healthy for kids to see that a loving relationship can have difference of opinions and outlook on a certain topic. And it's okay. You don't as have to agree. As long as it's respectful. Right. As long as it's respectful. They can agree to disagree and they can all have both have a separate idea of what what they believe in. But when it's when it's things that really doesn't don't matter was it seven minutes was it 10 minutes does it really matter why are we making an issue on this but i think you're right because if i go to each conversation that we do discuss i think we can analyze and see that it's some it's touching a personal thing that's deeper Mm -hmm. i i like that um so thank you for that i'm going to try that with ari and i'll let you know how it works yeah i also would suggest and and this would work for anybody but because you're bringing it up in your relationship matana I think it would be great if you just said, are we having a moment about whose truth is a little more true? Mm. And either one of you could agree to say something like that. It would just dissipate it with a laugh and get it I over like with. Right? I like that. I like that. We'll try it. We'll try. <laughs> um, I want to ask you what you think relationships do when they fall in love with someone that's happy-go-lucky and then that person goes into depression or bipolar or the mental illness comes out and they lose that loved one. Mm -hmm. They lose that person in them that they love. How do they find empathy and how do they keep the love in the relationship while the person is suffering? Oh, that's a really big question (laughs) because, you know, it brings up the desire to continue caring for the person and the remembrance of who that person really is or was. And then the balance between not wanting to be abandoning and the balance between a sense of duty and a sense of guilt. And Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many pieces to it. So again, it's like I said earlier about the hijackals, it, it is very, very individual because each case is so different. But it's like alcoholism. You know, if somebody takes up drinking and, well, I'll give you an example from my own life. I I, uh, my, one of my oldest friends, she married a fellow, very accomplished attorney, mm-hmm. and he was a gourmet cook and he was, you know, so fascinating. And so I became a regular dinner guest and he would do these elaborate meals on gourmet magazine and there would be wine and everybody would be talking and it would be great. And then I realized that about 20 minutes after he sat down and the, and the meal actually began and the, the enjoyment, the social environment actually began. The guy that we know 
disappeared because he'd been drinking the whole time that mm. he was preparing the meal. And I think that's analogous to what happens when somebody develops a mental illness because that person that you were expecting to talk to or confide in or share with or join in with dreams has is not there. They're not there. They're not present. And it's a big loss. It's a big loss. And you keep hoping that you can do something, that you can help in some way, that there's a help that you can find. And certainly you, you do that. I hope you do that. And you go to the ends of the earth to find help. And you, you go together to find help. And you can acknowledge that you have a tight enough relationship that you can talk about. I realize as the person who's experiencing the difficulty that I'm different. And I, if they can possibly get out of themselves enough to say, and I know, as you said earlier, that it's causing a problem to our relationship, mm -hmm. that's going to get you to somewhere much faster than if the person just disappears and then you're left there going, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. Right. How, what do I do with this? And, and that's very, very difficult. And it can really touch you deeply because you don't want to accuse yourself of abandoning your partner. But the thing is that there's nobody there for you now. Mm. And so that changed the dynamic very deeply. And so you need to shore up your support system so that you can find some of the needs being met by your support system that were previously met by the person experiencing the dysfunction at the moment. Mm -hmm. And then that person demonstrates whether or not they're willing to get help and mm -hmm. do something with that help. You know, many times I've had clients who were with somebody who was severely depressed but the person would not acknowledge that they were depressed and refused to get any help. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a whole other decision-making process than having someone who acknowledges their depression and will, in fact, take their medication and will, in fact, go to therapy mm -hmm. and and will be vocal and mm -hmm. and communicative about it. Right. I I find that no one was no one told me to be aware of my husband's suffering. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me that he was suffering until I healed, until I came back to reality. And then when people are calling me with their suffering of coaching their partner or helping their partner, and I, and I so many times say, it's not your job. You can be comforting, but you, it's not your job to yeah, heal them. You can't, you can't, you can't, you're going to, you're going to run yourself ragged and then you're going to lose yourself. And I wish, I wish someone told me that at the time that it wasn't Ari's job. And I don't, I, I was very determined to heal. I went to therapy. I went to healers. I, I did everything possible. I joined courses. I read every book about self-help, mental health, understanding, but I still linked on him a lot for support, which I think, and I, and I wasn't there to give love. I wasn't there. I wasn't available. I was, I was a mute. I was, I was numb. Mm -hmm. And and that is such an important part that I think the mental health world doesn't talk about is when you're in a relationship, even though you're hurting, just know that the one that's with you that's not hurting is hurting sometimes even more because mm -hmm. they're not getting the attention. They're not getting the spotlight. They're not getting, they're just getting, be there, be there, do this. If you only did this, I'll be happy. And if you only did that, 
I will feel better and this and, and, and we need to understand that the other one is suffering as well. Yeah, they feel impotent often. I don't know what to do to help you. And you're not, our relationship isn't present. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what to do to help you. And if you make demands and and things that, you know, I should be doing, am I actually helping you? Right. You know, so the, the person who doesn't have the diagnosis requires a lot of help. Mm. to understand the diagnosis, to understand, again, you know, using those same words I used earlier, the pattern traits and cycles of what's going on here, what to expect, what is the the lack of health or the diagnosis, and what is the person just being willful, absent, you know, whatever they're doing, how do you know what's what? Right. <laughs> you, you need to be educated as well when you, your partner seems to have a difficulty that you can't join them and understand and they can't explain it to you. You need to get some help from a mental health professional to help you know what's going on. Right. And also, you need to do that so that you don't feel guilt that I can't help them. So what's wrong with me? Mm. You know, no, there's nothing wrong with you that you can't help them. You know, they've fallen in a pit and you don't have a shovel. So you've got to either find a shovel or find a person who shovels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your job is to say, okay, how how do I learn what the parameters are of being able to or not able to help the person in the pit? Mm. And other than that, you could beat yourself up terribly. You could think, is it my fault? Did I do something? Mm-hmm. Um, this is awful. And you can go very south yourself. And right. you need to not be going south because you need to have the support to stay present and and aware and clear and somewhere to process your feelings because you're feeling lost. Yeah. Right? Right. So but- it's very important. Yeah. So do you believe that people that are in denial or they don't want to seek help, sometimes it's too hard to see when you're in such depression or in the pits of the of the nightmare, you don't want to seek help because you don't want to open up the can of worms and you don't want to look at the trauma. They're in sadness, they're in deep depression. Can the partner go to therapy alone in order to survive the relationship? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't have to be together. No, it doesn't have to be together. If I have a cancer diagnosis, I hope my partner would go and learn all about cancer and potentials and best treatment and all of Mm -hmm. that in order to help and advise me so I don't have to do it all by myself. Mm -hmm. So get educated. Get educated then explore your own feelings. Mm-hmm. Like, do am I feeling inadequate? Am I feeling brushed to the side? What am I feeling? You know, mm-hmm. am I feeling grave loss? Am I f- afraid? Am I anxious? Am mm-hmm. I feeling impotent? You know, you need right. support for your feelings. It, it's very, very much something that both sides need support and both sides need help. Right. And when a person who ha- goes into an anxiety disorder, or a depressive episode, or whatever is going on, and they can't see it, they feel it, mm-hmm. right? They're in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe their only expression is just that glazed, cold eyes and nodding their head. Mm. I can't 
I got no words. Right. And so you need to speak to somebody who has some words that can help you when your partner goes there. That's very good input. I really think that's, that's very helpful because sometimes you're so lost. You're just so lost that you don't know what to think anymore. And you want to give up hope, but you don't want to give up hope. And you want to stay in the relationship, but there is no relationship. You're, you're giving, but you're not getting. And it's just, it's, it's just so hard to find the resolution in it. So yeah, so, so find the people that have the words, the hope, the inspiration, the guidance, whatever it is. The information. Yeah. Um, and also you have to think about your children because your children are watching this and your children are, you know, f- afraid. You know, we always have to be aware of the brain development stage of the children involved. What are they perceiving? What are they equipped to perceive? You know, until they're six, seven, they don't have parietal lobe function or prefrontal lobe function. So they're taking in everything differently. Uh, they're little. They don't have language. They have feeling like mm-hmm. these caregivers, am I supposed to move toward them, away from them, attached mm-hmm. to them, not attached to them? Are they safe? Are they not safe? I mean, all the different levels of the, of the children's growth. Maybe you have more than one child. They're in different places. How do you explain what's going on? How do you take care of the emotions of the children? Mm-hmm. You need help with all of that. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you a question that I forgot to ask you before. Is every narcissist a someone that you can say that it has personality disorder? Well, a true narcissist is a person with narcissistic personality disorder. But people have varying degrees of narcissistic traits. Mm-hmm. So as I said, you can have a healthy narcissism that allows you to think that you can go for that big CEO job. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a healthy narcissism in that to say, yes, I'm strong enough. Yes, I'm smart enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are like, well, of course, they should hire me because I am the most important thing on the planet and I'm mm-hmm. entitled to that job. And they would be mm-hmm. complete idiots if they didn't hire me. And then I'll make them wrong for not hiring me. And I'll tell everybody from the towers that I was right and they were wrong. <laughs> Well, now we're into, you know, some pretty high level narcissistic Mm -hmm. disorder traits. Okay. So it's a very variable. Wide. It's a very wide spectrum. And is it caused by trauma or are we born with it? No, we're not born with it. It's something we learn. One of the things that that I'm just um, doing on my podcast this week, actually, is I'm talking about attachment. An attachment can happen in our lives as early as seven months old. And in the first two years, the research shows that there is a lot that is put in place or not put in place that will cause or begin the development of narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, histrionic or uh, borderline personality disorders at a very young age. And they're, so it's learned behavior. So if they're learning it, why can't they unlearn it? <laughs> well, it's because when it was learned, it went into the brain at certain stages and ages. And they, you know, it's, it's well, let's think about it this way. Okay. We're kind of pre-programmed. We come right. in, we're supposed to learn. We learn mm-hmm. how to walk. We learn how to talk. We learn mm-hmm. how to read. We go to mm-hmm. school. We get expectations that now we're supposed to do well in school and we're supposed to excel at sports and we're 
you know, we've got all these expectations that we get out of school, we maybe go to college, we get a job, mm -hmm. we earn money, we live on our own, then mm -hmm. we have a, a partner, then we have a family, then we have a mortgage. So we're into this whole thing. And by the time we sit down at 35 and we say, whoa, what was all that about? <laughs> right? That's the moment when we sit down and say, this isn't working. Right. But I've been on this push to do everything right. Right. In the right time frame for the right reasons, because society said that makes mm -hmm. me a good person. And we don't stop and figure it out. And so the same thing happens. I mean, we just keep going with what we've known and what we've been taught in our families, mostly mm -hmm. in our families. And then um, we take that along with us. So a person who is actually a hijackal, a real hijackal, believes that there can't be a possible thing wrong with them because mm -hmm. they have been already deeply shamed and they will, they will resist any, anything that whiffs of possible shame. Mm -hmm. And it, you touch them with even the slightest imperfection and they go into a rage because the child was wounded. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you know, like often we'll say with people who have narcissistic traits that you can quickly see that they kind of got stuck somewhere between three and seven years old because they have tantrums like children of those ages. Wow, that's so interesting. So basically, it's their personality that disables them from changing. It's not their brain. It's no. the it's the actions that they that stops them from even acknowledging that something's wrong. That's right. And so sometimes they'll come and work with me, mm -hmm. and they will hear a few things that would make things better. And particularly if they happen to be what we call covert in mm -hmm. their in their hijackal tendencies. Uh, which means that they're going to be humble and nobody lets me do anything. And mm -hmm. I've never had a chance in life. <laughs> like the victim. Thing. Yeah. And um, so they will say, oh, is that what I'm supposed to do? Will that make everything better? Will that please you finally? And so they'll do that for a little while, but it's not who they are and it's not what they want. And it's not the grandiosity that they feel underneath mm -hmm. is their entitlement. And so they don't, they don't play with that for very long. Wow. I have a, a very weird question. What happens to these hijackals when they, if they have Alzheimer's or dementia, what part uh, of their personality comes out? They get worse usually. Oh, worse. Cause yes, it's because remember how close rage is to the, to their surface. Mm. So when, uh, you know, in Alzheimer's case, uh, any kind of dementia, one of the things that shows the the advancement of the disease is the mm -hmm. violence. And so they touch into that rage more easily. They don't become docile, which we would like to be able to say. Wow. Wow. I was hoping you're going to say that their traits that they learned would go away and they go back to like what they were as infants, as little, little children, but no. No, they were little, little children when they learned to be hijackals. Wow. Wow, this is such a fascinating topic. Wow, wow. What made you go into it years ago? Well, I was always interested in conflict management and why there were conflicts and all because of the family I grew up in. So as I became more and more aware of things that we've been speaking of, and I, as a child, I was raised in a family with two hijacked parents and I was oh. an only child. 
So I was aware of being aware of my parents being dysfunctional. And I used to say, you guys are nuts. I mean, I, right. <laughs> I was clear that I didn't appreciate their behavior. Not that it didn't get deeply into me and I had to do a whole lot of work to get yeah. it. But, but then, you know, what I learned was that I would say, this goes on at my house to somebody I trusted, an adult. <laughs> and they would say, oh, your parents are wonderful. And the thing with hijackal parents, Matana, is that they they put on a public picture of perfection while at home they create a private place of pain. Oh, my gosh. So out in the community, they look wonderful. And at home, they're awful. Oh. So as an only child, I didn't even have a sibling to turn to and say, this is awful, right? Right. right. So I would go and I'd hope a, an adult would see what was going on. Right. I had the opportunity not long ago to um, meet a minister's wife who I met when I was like four years old. Wow. And uh, we they were there for five, five years in my early life. And I, I went to her home and we were reconnecting after all this time. And mm. I said, I know you were very young when you were there, but did you notice that, were there any indications to you that my father was sexually abusing me and that my mother was emotionally abusing me? And she was horrified. <gasps> no, no, no. If I'd seen any of that, I, I, I would have said something or done something if I possibly could. And of course, she was young. She was 20 years old. Yeah. And, you know, here I am thinking she's old because I'm right. four. Right. <laughs> but right. The adult course, in the room. Yeah. So, of course, she didn't know. But... You know, to answer your question, when I realized how little understanding there was of these things that were actually happening to you, and then you'd go out and someone would tell you you're crazy, and the crazy making was happening in the relationship, and then realize that people who come from homes where this is, they they are hijackal bait. They are raised to be hijackal bait. They're just mm. sitting there waiting for a hijackal to come along and entrance mm. them. And so the the whole process is repeated again. So why I went into it is that there wasn't any help when I needed help long years ago. And so I had to figure it all out. Oh, really? You didn't go to therapy to figure oh, it out? I did. Yeah. I did. But people don't know about this. I was on a show the other day and someone said, well, you know, I went to therapy. And, um, and what happened? We went to couples therapy. And I hear this all the time in my practice. We went to couples therapy and the therapist, my husband, well, we'll take it that the hijackal was the husband. My husband charmed the therapist into believing that everything he said was true. And then they turned on me together. Well, that is very common because, you know, there's a, there's a conversation in the medical community. Then, and what doctors are, are told is when you hear hooves, think horses, not mm. zebras, mm. Right? right? In other words, think what's the most common and likely cause of what's mm. going on. Yeah. Well, the same thing happens in the therapeutic world. So what's the most likely cause? Well, this person's telling me that they don't communicate. There's a lack of sex. There's disinterest. There's all of this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to turn to the person who doesn't want the sex and is disinterested and say, what's, what's up with you? Mm -hmm. But if you have, if you can't think beyond horses to think about zebras, you may not be able to see the effects of personality disorder traits. Mm. And so you won't pick up on them. And if you don't pick up on them, then the hijackal is thrilled right. because now they have a, a colleague in the continued emotional abuse of their partner.
Did you get all the therapy needed? Before? Are you married? I was. You yeah. were. Did you get enough therapy before you entered a relationship in order no, to feel safe? No, not no, at all. no, not, not at, at all. Because it sounds like it takes years and sometimes decades to undo the damage. There's constantly unfolding information. Like mm. once you start to realize that you need to question everything that happened mm. to you and you get some help to get over the big pizza. It's like sometimes I say to people, you know, I'll be talking on a show or whatever mm. and say, well, that's interesting. There is a little pocket that I haven't quite seen that way within myself or within relationships right. that, you know, oh, well, there's the answer to that. Mm -hmm. So it's it's the gift that keeps on giving. But if you don't if you don't start opening that gift, you'll just be downtrodden. You'll be somebody's doormat, and you will feel very badly about yourself, disempowered, and perhaps find yourself in a very anxious, depressive state, mm -hmm. and maybe even suicidal. Yeah, because you just feel like hopeless. I have no power in this situation. Right. Exactly. So when when did you go to school to, for all this? Oh, I've gone to school a lot. I It sounds like it. It sounds like you have quite a career of education. I do. I you know I have a bachelor's degree, then a master's degree, then a PhD, then 263 postgraduate hours oh. in conflict management negotiation and mediation. Wow. Yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff. And then I made a special study, a long-term special study of personality disorders mm -hmm. and attachment theory and all the things that we need to look at for that. And I study all the time because mm -hmm. it's there's always something more that I can learn that can help give someone an insight, see something, I can come up with a way to help somebody do something better. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, I'm always, I'm always studying, but you know, this is a journey I have been, I have had my company since 1984. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So a lot of relationships have come through your door. Thousands and thousands. Yes. Yeah. They are lucky. They are lucky to tap into your brain and your courage, like to make a life out of such a struggle and to empower yourself to help others and to stop what you had happened to you. And yeah, to uh, yes, and uh, sorry to cut you off, but on that, you know, I say to my kids, look, one of my commitments was that it would stop with me, that mm -hmm. it wouldn't spill over. Now, of course, that's that's impossible in mm -hmm. the sense that there are going to be unconscious things that happen, but consciously, none of this will be visited on my children. As soon as I'm conscious of it, I change it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something I was saying to a person. Um, that I worked with for quite a long time, who was terribly abused as a child in every possible way, terribly, unspeakably abused. And he has children, and he never visited any of that abuse on the children. And I said, you know, you're a hero. You are a hero. When you recognize the level of dysfunction that was visited on you, and you don't pass it on, that is heroic. Yes. Yes, but you have to have help. You can't do it just because you want to not pass it on. So many people want to not, but they don't do the work, the hard work. And it's hard because it's ugly and messy and you have to go, you have to forgive, you have to let go. You have to, you have to be okay with not being okay with what was done to you and just say, c'est la vie and move forward, which is the hard work. 
Yes. And to know that things happened to you that were not your fault, but mm. because of your level of brain growth, you took it in that it was your fault. I'll give you an example of that. I had um, a family that I was working with who decided to separate and they asked me to talk to their two little girls and the girls were seven and five and I knew them well. So we were sitting in my office when I used to have a large set of offices. And I said, do you know why daddy moved to another house? And the five-year-old said, yes, yes, I know. My, I left my bicycle behind his car. <sighs> and the seven-year-old said, no, that's not why daddy lives in another house. Daddy lives in another house because mommy and daddy argued all the time and they wanted to stop. Now, there's the difference between parietal and prefrontal lobe development and not. The younger child was still in the state where she believed she caused everything. Wow. And the older child had logical, rational, sequential thought. Mm -hmm. So all the stuff that went in before you get parietal and prefrontal lobe development is something that ends up being what you look at in any therapeutic process. Mm -hmm. Because what got loaded in there and how many viruses are in the software that you right. got at those right. times? Right, to, to undo it or to relearn the truth or to accept the truth. Or to make a new truth. Like right. Maybe I had uh, hijackles in my past and they didn't have anything else to give me but that, and I don't want that, so now mm -hmm. I've got to choose something else. Yeah. What is the best book you wrote that you would uh, recommend listeners to read about hijackles? Oh, Escaping the Hijackal Trap. Okay. When did you write that? I think I wrote that in 2016. <laughs> What's your latest book? Oh, How to Spot a Hijackal. I wrote a very brief book called How mm -hmm. to Spot a Hijackal so that people could get it. And you can get it free, by the way. Mm -hmm. Just go to hijackals.com if you're listening to this conversation yeah. and you want to know. Yeah. Um, and you spell hijackals, hijackals.com. I think it's important for people to know what are the red flags sure. when they're dating or if they're already in a relationship. Like, what are the, what are the traits that are that can can lead down the path of a very ugly relationship or dangerous relationship. Yeah, well, one of the big traits is if, if no matter how nicely they do it, if you can take off your rose-colored glasses so you don't miss the red flags, mm -hmm. and you can say, wow, this person seems to have to be right or win, even when it doesn't matter. Mm. Their opinion has to be more valid than mine. Their truth has to be a little more true. You know, it's like you and your uh, your husband arguing over whether five minutes or seven minutes. What's up with that, right? If you notice that when you're dating somebody, no, this is not okay because right. they're demonstrating to you that they always have to win. Mm. And when you're with a hijackal in the extreme, now they're what they're going to do is they're going to know that they have to win in the moment. So emotionally and psychologically, they have to win. They have to be right. So. They will say black is white in order to win in the moment. Mm. And 20 minutes later, in order to win, they have to say black is red. And then when you say to them, but 20 minutes ago, you said black is white. And they say, you don't listen very well, do you? Oh, my God. It becomes your fault, right? Mm. They take no ownership for their behavior at all. So 
This becomes very important to catch as a red flag in the beginning of a relationship. Also, something called all or nothing or black and white thinking. If you are the most wonderful thing that ever happened and they're singing your praises and I'm so glad I met you and everything. And then you do one thing and they say, oh, well, I, I don't know if this relationship can continue because I don't know if I can put up with that. There's no gray area. There's no negotiation space mm -hmm. between black and white. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if you find that they're, they're behaving that way, then that's a big red flag because they're going to have no tolerance for things not being their way at all times. Maybe I'm a hijackle. Yeah. <laughs> People call me a black and white cookie. <laughs> well, maybe you have some hijackle tendencies in some area of your life. It doesn't make you a hijackle. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things in my life, internally, emotionally, I have to watch for all the time is black or white thinking. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is really working for me or, oh, no, I should get rid of this. Well, mm -hmm. what about in between? Right, right. <laughs> you know, because I was raised with two hijackles, so that's the way the thought process ran. Mm -hmm. And on my worst days, I still have to bring that to consciousness within myself and say, mm -hmm. hey, what are you, what are you doing? That's yeah. thinking. You don't do that, right? Right. I, I did go to therapy for many years to develop the gray because the black and white was so much safer for me. Oh, it it's is? either yes or no. There's no there's no doubt. And it was it was a safe zone for me, but it was a horrible place for me because I was getting hurt all the time instead of understanding the gray. Right. So what you end up doing in relationships is come closer, stay away. Right. Right. That's a horrible place to right. be because you're never getting your needs met. You're right. never getting what you want. Right. Right. And neither's the other person. Right. So that doesn't work well. So we're above our time and I feel bad because it's late at night. I could speak. Maybe we'll have you on again because there's so much I want to talk to you about. But in the meantime, can you share with the listeners, what are, what's your two latest pod? You have two podcasts, you said, right? Mm -hmm. And what are they? Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. And the other one is called Save Your Sanity, Help for Toxic Relationships. Mm. And they're all available, both available wherever you like to get your podcasts. So you can find them very, very easily. Or you can come um, to my website at relationshiphelpnetwork.com. And there you'll see the two podcasts plus my YouTube channel, which is for relationship help. So if you just want to go to YouTube, there's over 350 videos I've done up there. Mm -hmm. um, then you can just go to my channel for FOR relationship HELP. Mm -hmm. And you said that you have also a um, program aligned, something that they can be uh, a membership, a membership program. Yes. You just go to optimizedcircles.com or go to my website, transformingrelationship.com and click on circles. And we have three levels of membership there. And each level of membership is only $5 for the first mm -hmm. month, so you could try it out. <laughs> right. And what do you have in these programs? Well, at the first level, you get automatically, you get my 47-day uh, uh, email program called 21 Steps to Empowered Emotional Savvy. Mm -hmm. Plus, you get to interact completely in my discussion threads. And this is the great feature is that they are on my website. They are completely off social media. Mm. So it works just like Facebook. It looks a lot like mm -hmm. Facebook. So nothing to learn about how to work it. 
but it's not social media. Mm. So nobody lurking or making false accounts or doing anything oh. to come in and find out what you're up to. Oh, interesting. And then at the second level, you get all of the first level, plus you get access to videos and various other resources that are there. And at the third level, you get all of that, plus two group Ask Me Anything calls a month that you can register for. So you can actually talk to me on the group calls and ask your questions. Mm -hmm. Do you do one-on-one -on -one consulting still? Oh, yes, I do. Um, that's the major thing that I do all day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and people who want to be my client can go to beaclient.com. And can they do it from anywhere in the world or anywhere only face? Oh, do you do it on online? You could. It's all on video. Yeah, Just okay. like you and I are talking, okay. I talk to them. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. I have one question that I always ask people at the end. What does hope mean to you? Mm. Oh, well, that's particularly a, a trigger word for me because I think it's always wonderful to have hope in the purest sense that things can and will improve and mm -hmm. continuously improve. However, it can be a fool's errand in this way that when you're with a hijackal and they did the love bombing in the beginning, you get hooked on hope that that person who love bombed you is going to return mm -hmm. and they don't exist. So they can't return. It's false hope. It's false hope. And I know there are some people and there have been times in my life when I didn't believe in false hope. I, I felt that that was oxymoronic. I, I think it's something we each have to think about very deeply because we want to so much believe in hope, and I hope that in most cases we can. Um, but there are times when we have to actually say, no, this is not going to happen. You know, if you have an amputated leg, you're not going to grow a new one. You can mm -hmm. hope that you would, but you can't. If you're with a hijackal, you could hope that they were different, but they're not. But you can hope that you will have the courage to leave or see the light yes. to leave, or you can hope that you'll get a prosthetic that will be able to feel like a real leg and you'll be able to That's climb right. the Himalayas. You can have a channel of hope. realistic hope. Right. 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 But not, I mean, and I believe in miracles. I do. But when we're just talking about hope in itself, mm -hmm. I think we have to hope for the best possible outcome. And we have to know sometimes mm -hmm. that there are limitations. Yeah. Or, or not to hold on to false hope and channel the hope to the right direction. Exactly. Yes. I like that, that we have to be, because sometimes hope can fool us that we're doing, as you said, you're, you're, you're feeding, you're feeding poison to the relationship instead mm -hmm. of avoiding the relationship and just going away. And, um, yeah, we have to be very focused on what the hope is. I like that part that we have to make sure that we know that the hope is real and it's there and not something fake. Mm -hmm. Very important to many, many things in life. Absolutely. We have to live in the All reality. Things. Yeah. As much as we hold on to it, we have to be in the reality in the now and be very grounded on what's really going on. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Well, you know what, you know what they say, we, our behavior is what matters. Right. So if we're not contributing to world peace, the hope for world peace is not helpful. Mm -hmm. If I'm still yelling at the driver in front of me, I'm not doing my part. 
So I can have a hope for world peace, but if I'm not willing to put my part in to have peace right here, right now, and the people in front of me, not going to happen. Nope. <laughs> That's true. So we have to do the action, not just be ideologically uh, spiritual and uh, and in the clouds. We have to be grounded and doing and taking actions and working. Right. I agree. I agree. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your knowledge. Wow, you know so much. I wish, wish, wish I knew you from beginning with my relationships in my life that sometimes I really, I damaged or I didn't know the right way to go about it. But as you say, we, we have to just learn for the future, move forward, know what our triggers are, know what we're good at, what we're not good at, get help at and, and move forward and, and really try to do the best you can and yes, notice who you are. That's all you have. Right. Where did you grow up? Because you have a little bit of an accent. Is it Canadian? I grew up on Vancouver Island in yeah, Canada. Yeah, Canada. Okay. I, I heard that little, I thought it was a Canadian accent. So, Roberta, thank you so, so, so much. And hopefully we're going to have you soon on. And guys, grab those books because it sounds like gold. It really sounds like gold nuggets. And tune into our podcast because they're really fascinating. Even if you don't have a hijackle and even if you don't have you any... You know one. <laughs> you know one or you know a friend that's suffering with one or you or you you can be even in a supermarket and you can see and like how to, how, how to deal with, with hard people around you. So... Definitely tune into her podcast because they're very interesting. And I, I guarantee that you'll always leave a podcast thinking about somebody that you know that can that can mimic or you can relate to something that Roberta is talking about in a podcast. Very fascinating, very deep conversations, interesting conversations. And, and you might even have tips for your life, for your own relationships. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. If you want to join us again, Please join us anytime on our group, Hope to Recharge Facebook community. You can leave us an iTunes review. Give us your input. If you are married to a hijackal or you were married to a hijackal or you know somebody and you want to add to this conversation, please join us here. Thank you for listening. Have a very good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please leave feedback and ratings below. Let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.